They begin walking. Uh, they're, they're following the spiral. Um, and they kind of make small talk as they do. We get more um, dump about the Andalite homeworld, which is very cool. Yep. Long ago, we had cities, but we were free-roaming herd animals to begin with. I mean, that's how we evolved. Millions of years ago, Andalites moved in vast herds, which would split off into smaller herds at different times of the year. Then gradually, we got used to forming smaller herds. Families, really. Each family made its scoop, and then and we each held our own grazing lands. All this Andalite environment you see is part of my family's grazing land. Once we evolved to form families, we began to study science and nature. And again, over millions of years, we learned to build things. Which, like, the concept that the Andalites have been around for millions of years is a lot. Well, throughout the series, humans are almost always described as either, like, they describe us as a primitive species, but a lot of other aliens describe us as, like, a young species. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Compared mm -hmm. to a lot of, like, the space-faring ones out there, we are like mm -hmm. babies like we're taking our first baby steps into the universe we've only just reached our moon we've only just started sending out robots to our nearby yeah. planet like just robots not actual people you know yeah so like to them it's like we are mm -hmm. toddlers but mm -hmm. on the flip side and i can't remember if this has been commented on yet in the text i think maybe uh axe mentioned it in a previous but how quickly humans technology mm -hmm. is developing mm -hmm. and yeah. like when you sit and think about it we're in the year 2021 now the last century, like, we only had planes about a hundred years ago. The yep. first planes were being built and they just landed another fucking robot on Mars that's talking yeah. to the other one that's there mm -hmm. and giving us all fucking emotions about it. We yep. have broadcast messages into space. We are, technology is rapidly changing mm -hmm. well, and just, it's incredible. Just in my lifetime... I, like, I'm 30 years old. I'm pretty much like the prime example of a millennial. I was born in 1991. I remember growing up with cassette tapes and VHS, mm -hmm. but also owning a DVD player. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then like, I remember, you know, like the rise of Netflix and thinking, oh, that's kind of weird. I guess, you know, like our, our internet's too slow to really stream stuff, but it's nice that we can mail order a DVD, yep. you know. Mm -hmm. And then, like, not even, like, five years later, it's like, oh, Blockbuster's gone? And it's only streaming now? Yeah. Okay. It's also, like, I remember from going uh, in my house, we had one computer with dial-up internet. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was at the beginning of, like, high school. Well, mm -hmm. secondary school here. Going from that to computers in every room, as well, going to uni, broadband coming in fucking smartphones coming in mm -hmm. God. when i think about the number of devices in my house right now that can connect to the internet yep all at the same time yep and it's like that's in the the span of a generation mm -hmm. the the field of technology has completely changed and it's incredible. Yep. And that's part of why you get so much resentment between the generations because of how fast things are going. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's, we're speeding up. Mm -hmm. Like my mom, my mom talks about like their first color TV. And when I say color TV, I mean, they bought a black and white TV that came mm -hmm. with a little screen you could place over the TV that had blue at the top and green at the bottom to simulate, simulate grass. And that mm -hmm. was what they considered color TV. Yeah, like, granted, I grew up in a very low-income family, but we did not have a color TV in my house until I was mm, 
eight, nine years old, which yeah. was 95. That's fair. So, but yeah, and then I'm the TV's getting bigger and flatter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like... And smarter. And, and smarter <laughs> also. But yeah, so I, I love that. And just like, so when we get these reflections, just like, oh, so it took the Andalites millions of years. And we're the primitive ones. Bitch, did you see how far we went from fucking air travel to fucking space travel? Suck on it, Andalites. Not just that, but how quick they pick up on things. Like, Lauren Mm -hmm. doesn't even know. She technically doesn't know. She doesn't know the formulas. She doesn't know Mm -hmm. the theory behind this stuff. But she, like, she knows enough from a high school education to intuit it. Like, oh, I know the laws, basic laws of things. Well, here, da-da-da-da-da, you know. Uh, Danielle, Mm -hmm. please let Kel meet an Andalite. Because Kel's going to be like, oh, bitch, you don't even know. <laughs> and just like, like, I mean, I'm, yeah, I feel it's very in keeping. I was, I'm playing a fucking 22 year old MIT student who was able to, how to suss out how to fly a ship briefly and <laughs> nice. is replicating their technology mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. because of the way human tenacity is described in these books. We're incredibly creative as a species and problem solving. Part of why humans evolved the way they did is because of technology. Because fucking thousands of years ago, I forget the span of human evolution, somebody figured out how to make fire, mm-hmm. how to attach, how to create a blade, how to attach a blade to a stick. Innovation is a human thing. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. God, it's a human thing. Crows do it too. Shout out to the Corvids. They fucking rock. But yeah. It's the ability to innovate, to take what you are given, whether it might be a high school education and a new situation, or picking up a rock to throw at fucking an alien who isn't expecting a rock to to the face. (laughs) Humans are able to take what little things they have and fight and create and make new things. And that's why the Andalite, the Yerks and the Andalites underestimate humanity. And why they've proven time and time again why humans are so difficult to stamp out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elfanger goes on to explain how uh, the Andalites learned how to build weapons and vehicles and communicators, and the scoops and families became larger, and they all uh, created cities without any grazing space in them. Um, and they learned space travel, but they weren't happy, uh, and knew something was wrong. So they broke down their cities, divided the land and went back to life in simple family scoops. We kept building spaceships, but we did it in little bits and pieces here and there spread out through the tens of thousands of scoops. My own family does some of that. We design heat transfer components for fighters. Another family builds the pieces from our designs. Another family transports the pieces to the spaceport. I guess the three spaceports are about as close as what we come to what you would call a city now. Um, We're very different, are we? Lauren said. She sounded sad. Yes, in some ways, but not so very different in others. When all this is done, you'll go back to your planet, I'll go back to mine, and you'll erase all my memories of this. I was startled by the idea. Lauren, we no longer have the Jahar, or any ship. I can't erase your memories without that technology. But if you could, you would? I hadn't thought about it, but suddenly I realized the truth. It shocked me. No, I wouldn't. Why not? Because 
because I don't think that after all that's happened, I could stand to be the only person alive who knew the truth, and I don't think I could stand having you forget me, Lauren. Lauren nodded. She smiled. I care about you too, Elfangor. I care a lot. I was puzzled. Had I said we I cared about her? No, not in those words. And yet I did. I did care about this alien who no longer seemed so alien to me. And then he's, well, that's so good and pure and lovely. And then he's just like, you know, it'd be faster if you got on my back again. <laughs> because I'm the worst and I want to ruin this moment. But yeah. I, I love that, like that his realisation there, mm -hmm. like, Andalites are frequently portrayed as being very bad at self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because the culture doesn't encourage it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I love that, this moment. Just like, and I love, again, and again, this is proving how much Tobias is like Lauren. People don't need to say things for him to get it. Mm-hmm. Just ugh, insightful shit. Yep. Um, they... They keep moving. Oh, my God. Sorry, I just remembered what part yeah. we're coming up to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they keep moving. Um, and as part. as they go, they, well, uh, Lauren realizes it. Well, yeah, Lauren realizes it first. We notice it in Nelfangor first. Um, Lauren notices that her uh, fingernails and her hair and her toenails are growing extremely fast um and Elfango realizes hooves. Yeah. yeah is is his hooves are growing really really fast um and Elfangor says it's something i was afraid of as we get closer to the center of the swirl universe time is accelerated we are going to age faster than normal <sighs> um so he starts to go quickly um and they get to a point where there's no longer very clearly different patches of Andalite human in Yerk. Um, it's all kind of melding together. Um, and they, uh, Lauren realizes that they have reached the eye of the storm, so to speak. Um, or they have, yeah, they've reached the eye of the storm. They've reached the eye wall of the storm. Uh, and, uh, there's just this huge vortex between them and the, the eye proper. Um, and Elfangor's like, well, it's gotta be in there. And Lauren's like, uh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> and Elfangor's like, well, it's either in there or there's nothing beyond that swirl but emptiness and we'll be trapped inside that vortex forever. <laughs> Good prep talk, buddy. <laughs> At least he's honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But um, they take each other's hands. Uh, well, to be fair, Lauren asks him to take her hand mm -hmm. and they push into the vortex. Yep. Raw space -time I love itself. how, like, as the story progresses, he becomes more and more accustomed to, like, touching her, mm -hmm. which I find really interesting because, like, Lauren is, you know, like, okay, Small little tangent here. Lauren is presumably American, and Americans are like extremely phobic about like our personal space. We have a bubble, and we are very select on who we allow into that bubble. 
But seeking physical comfort is also such a human thing that when you're in an extreme situation, you just want to have someone else near you who you can touch. Mm -hmm. And like for her, it's like, this is like the one friend I've got. I'm going to seek comfort from him. And he's like, oh, this is strange, but okay. Basically a little ramble of like, she's meeting someone who's potentially like even more like touch phobic than Mm -hmm. a human is, an American human is. And yet he has come to accept that she needs touch for comfort. And he gives it to her occasionally without prompting. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that progression of their relationship of the little touches, the hand holds, the shoulder touches, things like that, that show the building up of this relationship of trust between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make it through the vortex and into the eye. Uh, and the time matrix is there. They're in this space and it's like this flat, they push through and it's like ghosts of stuff, of like trees and buildings, but then they're in this mm-hmm. hundred, like hundred foot across blank space. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just the swirling of reality around them. Um, but Lauren's hair and fingernails and nails are just still growing. Um, but they're like, we've got to just touch the matrix and we'll be out, get out of here. Um, but of course... Mr. 32 is here. Yep. Surprised to see the pair of them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what What did he think was going to kill them in this universe? I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> Elfangle has to do an emergency uh, cut of Lauren's hair and nails because mm-hmm. she can't move at this point. Her hair's so long it's piling on the ground. Toenails, like, mm-hmm. extended a foot through, like, the salt through her sneakers. Um, so she's just like, Stand perfectly still and don't move your hands. Just hold them out in front of you. Um, and he's able to cut most of the nails away and like cut her hair enough that she can move. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and touches out like they're, they're squaring up, Belfangor and Visa. But Lauren's the one that points out he doesn't want to fight you. Yeah. He's afraid to because. Uh, he has access to Lauren's memories of what Elfangor mm-hmm. can do in a mm-hmm. fight. Yep. And it's Lauren that points that out to him. Even mm-hmm. with like Vista 3 having these Mortrons with him, he's scared to fight Elfangor. Mm-hmm. I love how offended he gets too. He's just like, scared? Scared? Of this child? No, not me. I'm not scared. Mm-hmm. Then why not do it? Yeah, it's just like my Mortrons and I will eliminate, annihilate him. Really? So why not do it? Why talk about working together? Um, and Visser 3 like sends the Mortrons in. Yep. Um, but uh, clever boy, uh, rather than trying to use the sharp side of his blade, just like whacks one of the, fl- I think it's one of the flying Mortrons against a tree and stunning it. Because mm-hmm. um, the, the vehicle has just kind of buzz off and disappear Mm -hmm. once they launch the flying house, which again, why Mm -hmm. do they need to be there? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Lauren fights the other Mortrons with her softball bat um, and uh, Elfangor kind of faces off against Visser 32. Um, Mm. It is a tense fight um, yeah, Lauren loses the bat. Um, one of the Mortons is able to pull it off her, but 
uh, as El Fangor says, like she actually manages to get her hands around. Is like manages to sort of choke out one of these Mortrons. So the other is like tangled up in the yeah. stupidly long hair she has right now. I don't know why, but that imagery like really disturbed me as a kid too. Like just this image of the alien just caught up in like long human hair. Yeah, and the the hand that she's choking the Mortron with, mm. her fingernails grow through the Mortron. Oh, like, it, it's so gross! It's so much. Okay, uh, what the hell? But um, <laughs> this is fucking incredible. Like, Elfanga's like caught in this, like effectively this pencil moment. He's like squared right up with Versa Thirty Two, but he's got like the Andalite tail blade coming at him. The Mortron's teeth, he can only stop one. And then Lauren comes in swinging with a dead Mortron. Um, <laughs> and just yeah. it slams it, uh, like flings it off of the fucking claw fingernail she has. And mm-hmm. it just slams into the Mortron's head. And she just yells softball mm-hmm. as she does. It's just like, I love her so much. Yep. Adrenaline is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Like knock, uh, yeah. She just picks up the bat again. Uh, it's just like oh, I gotta, I gotta read this bit because I go love ahead, this because this is good and gay. Uh, Lauren calmly picked up her softball bat from the spot where it had fallen, and she annihilated the last Mortron, the one that had been tangled in her hair. I think it was that very moment when I decided I could definitely get to like humans. <laughs> it's like mm, warrior prowess, Harofango. <laughs> I see you, but yep. Yeah. At first, they seemed almost ridiculously weak, tottering around on their two legs, having to make sounds to communicate, lacking anything in the way of tail or other defenses. But humans had some definite possibilities. It's just like, nice throw, I said. It's called a pitch. <laughs> and she's like, thanks. Um, and yeah, Elfango once again goes to square off against uh, Visa 32. And now Visser 32 doesn't have the advantage of numbers on his side. Um, and he, Visser 32 basically gives up. Uh, he talks big game. Uh, you think you've won. You think you can kill me. Guess again. You haven't thought it through. But then again, I have the advantage of adding a Lawrence and a light knowledge to my own. What do you think will happen to whoever is left behind in this universe once it is broken apart? Um, what? Over your head, is it? A collapsed timeline returns each to our own proper space-time location. So you go back to the Jahar, back to being stuck into, sucked into a black hole. I can live with that, Yerk. I don't care how you die. Here, for my tail or there, drawn helplessly into a black hole. So long as you die, you are an abomination, the first Andalite controller. I just want you to be the last. Um, the Visser hesitates. Uh, and... Uh, gives a threat. He says, the day will come, Elfangor, when I will destroy you. I will make it personal. I will make it very personal. Um, and then he leaves. Uh, and Lauren's like, that's the end of him. And Elfangor's like, no, I don't think so. And again, we have this moment of almost premonition. I won't mm-hmm. say I had a vision. I don't believe much in supernatural things. But I felt deep down <sighs> that the Visser and I would find our timelines entwined again someday. Uh-uh. This boy and... I don't believe much in supernatural things as he's standing in a universe that he made out of a device that existed from <laughs> basically what are fairies to his people. Yep. Uh, boy. <laughs> and then they, they kind of face the time matrix. Lauren is like, well, now what do we do? We have to get out of here. My hair is still growing. My nails are out of control. I feel like I'm getting older. My 
Well, I'm getting older. I'll leave it at that. But I swear I'm suddenly 18. I just occurred to me what that gag is. God yeah. damn it, Kaye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I didn't get it as a kid either. I was, I was like, her what? Her what? Mm-hmm. Uh, her face is changing. Elfangor's getting older. Um, uh, he says, this time there can only be one person directing the time matrix. We have to go somewhere real, somewhere that is a part of the true universe. The Andalite world? No, I said heavily. What would I do if I went back to my own people? I mutinied against Alor and my prince. I left Arbron behind to live as a taxon, and I know too many secrets. I know that my own people used a quantum virus in the hork War. What might they do if they suddenly had the time matrix? I guess sometimes even good people do bad things. I mean, that's what war is all about, isn't it? Says Lauren. Um, if we use the time matrix to win this war, we will no longer be Andalites. Not what I think of as Andalites, anyway. We have to win this war by being ourselves, by living up to our own standards, not by becoming as brutal and ruthless as the Yerks are. You mean, what's the point of winning if by winning you lose what you were fighting for? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. I can't give my people the time matrix, and I can't let the Yerks have it either. And it cannot be destroyed, only hidden. Uh, you're going to hide it on Earth? Earth. Yes, and this time no nosy, greedy Skritna will stumble across it. What do you want me to do? Imagine your Earth, your home, just as it is today. Picture every last detail, your mother, your friends, your hollow human house. Picture the time just after the Skritna took you. An hour after. That was like, what, a week ago? Did all this happen in just a week? Yes, just a week. And we need to go back in time, back before your mother would have noticed you missing but not before the Skritna took you or we would have we would undo this entire timeline. Maybe we should erase this timeline, save Arbron, save Aloran, and the two of us never meet? I wouldn't want that. Me neither. But more importantly, we wouldn't know the exact effects of rewriting all that history. It may mean the Skritna escaped clean with the Time Matrix and delivered it to the Yerks. No, we have to keep our timeline intact. And as long as the you you've been this last week doesn't encounter some second you, we'll be fine. There's one more problem. This me has aged. I'm older. I must be almost 18 now, judging from the way I've grown. People would notice. Yes, but imagine that they don't. Imagine that you are 18 and that everyone who has ever known you expects you to be 18. Is this really going to work? I don't know, Lauren. Nothing else I've tried has worked so far. Um, And then she places her hands against the time matrix and imagines Earth. Um... I love the line of, then we were a million light years and one week away. Yeah, it's yes. good. good line. I think that this conversation that they have about war and about what using the time matrix would mean to win it is very good and very, mm-hmm. uh, very applicable to the main series, too. It's, it's almost the mission statement of the mm-hmm. series in a sense. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a is. few like really clear lines here that are like, they are the premise of the, of the, of the series. Like, um, mm-hmm. good people do bad things. Uh, mm-hmm. you can lose, like, what's the point of winning if you lose what you are fighting for? You know, mm-hmm. the whole point of it. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a neat little summary of what the whole series is about. Yep. Um. And then, uh, this is very good, but also there is some definite timey-wimey bullshit. Yep. 
Um, because we now cut to three years later. Mm-hmm. And Elfango talks about having he's run away from the war. He's run, he's sitting on Earth, he's buried the time matrix, and he does something called a Frolis maneuver, the mm-hmm. mixing of different DNA forms to form a single morph. He comes in contact with a number of humans and absorbs some di- a few different DNA patterns, and then he morphs human and I chooses to stay human. We don't we don't get any description of what his human morph looks like. Like we never get any description of that. And I mm-hmm. I know it's not important in the grand scale of the story, but I do still find it interesting that we will never know what he looked like as a human, mm. other than a little bit like Tobias. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, yeah. So we have Elfangor opting to be and stay human. He goes to college. He majors in physics. Has to pretend that he doesn't know the answers straight away. <laughs> um, he misses being an Andalite. Um, he uh, does uh, find upsides to being human. Human sense of taste is wonderful. Almost overpowering. Um, and then there was Lauren. Um, which is just really good. Who's yeah. obviously had to recreate her own life and dealing with those struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have Elfangor finishing college, um, unsurprisingly, very quickly. Graduate school does that. Uh, finds a job writing software. It's the 1980s on Earth, and humans are just beginning to understand computers. We have this fucking jokes about human friend Bill and human friend Steve. Mm-hmm. And I'm just there, just like, okay. <laughs> Elfangor, um, why? It's your fault. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh yeah. So Elfangor is essential in the development of computers as we know them. Yep. Um but yeah, there's a run in with Chapman. Um you know, I appreciate the book like it made no sense. It's just like he's here. <laughs> um doesn't know Lauren. Um but he doesn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah, it's a niggle in the back of Elfangor's head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this is it. And he's here, and he and Lauren get a house. And he mm-hmm. drives a yellow Mustang. Yep. And he takes a human name, uh, Alan Fangor. Yeah. So, or Al Fangor. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, I can just see some smiles being like, so, Alan Fangor, where are you from? Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly um, a common last name, is it? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, he gets home from his job. Uh, Lauren's not there. Uh, she's gone to see a doctor. Um, even though he, do, human doctors human are doctors. practically barbarians. Um, <laughs> I stepped out of the car on my two human legs. It turned out, much to my surprise, that I seldom fell over, even with just two legs. Um, but sees a human man there uh, when he opens his front door and finds this dude in his living room. Um, and she's like, what are you doing here? And this human looks amused. Uh, Elfango's got better, better at reading faces. It's just like, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? And this man, as Elfango's like, this is my house. I live here. And this man addresses him by his full Andalite name. Elfango, I should let Danielle do this. I have regrets. <laughs> Elfango is Cyrenial Shamtel. This, this is, is not, not your home. Yeah. And just like, and Elfango, savvy lad that he is, what are you? And this entity laughs. You don't ask who I am, you ask what. 
You are still wise enough to know I am not human. Just tell me what you want, I snapped. I don't want anything. We don't want anything. We do not interfere in the problems of other species. We, who is we, the we whose machine you have used to alter the direction of time and space. Elemist, I whispered fearfully. Yes, I am one of those creatures you call Elemists. And uh, so, yeah. And Elvago's having a bit of a crisis of, I suppose, faith almost, because Mm -hmm. there's an Elemist in his living room. Yep. Who also Um, informs him that Visser, now three, is alive. Uh, Also that Arbron still lives in the tunnels of the Living Hive. Yep. So, yes, I know you made a universe once. (laughs) Just like, I love this, like... He says, like, drops the name the Visser 3, and, like, Alfunk's like, Visser 3, yes, he's advanced quite far in the Yerk hierarchy. He should be dead. Should be dead? <laughs> Do you really <laughs> think you can play games with time itself? Do you think you can change things around to suit you and not make a mess of it? Are you so naive, Andalite, that you can't understand that time is a trillion, trillion, trillion strands, all woven and interwoven, that if you twist and break one strand, it may have unforeseen effects in a thousand other places and times? He's alive, the Visser. Yes, he is alive. He still inhabits a Lauren's body. He is a terrible enemy of your people. And Afanga's like, humans are my people now. Like the human named Chapman, is he one of your people? You, it was you. You brought him back here and erased his memory. I ended an error in the time-space continuum. Chapman plays a part in what is still to come. Elfangle's just like, I don't care. I said harshly, I don't care about wars in far off space. And the Elemist basically just like, you think it's that far away, the war is coming. And that the advanced scouts are in orbit above Earth right now. And Elfang's just like, this is another thing I failed. And the Elemist like, you kept the time matrix from falling into the hands of the uh, either side and that you saved the galaxy. And he's just like laying out his faults of his mistakes, and the Elemis is like saying, "You refuse to slaughter defenseless prisoners. You refuse to destroy yourself in order to win a battle. You are wise for a primitive creature, but you also altered the course of time by using the time matrix, and that has created awful problems for your people, for both your peoples. Your people need you." And the Elemis lays it out that Elfanger is not where or when he should be. And he wants to put Elfangor back. But he's not yeah. interfering. I love, but he's not interfering. He's not interfering, God forbid. I love this argument between uh, the Elemist mm. and Elfangor. Um, because Elfangor is desperately clinging to this life that he built. Um, the galaxy will get along without me. The Elemist leaned forward and put his face close to mine. No, it won't. What do you want from me? I yelled, suddenly enraged. We want nothing. Liar! Why are you here if you don't want anything? We do not interfere in the affairs of other species. Then go away! Get out! Leave me alone! We do not interfere, but sometimes we repair what has been shattered. I froze. What stupid game was he playing? He wouldn't interfere, but he would. Which was it? What did he want? What do I want? Nothing. But I can tell you that you have twisted and distorted time. Things are not as they should be. Battles are lost that should have been won. What should be safe is now endangered. I can't go back, I pleaded. I'm not an Andalite anymore. I'm human. I have a wife. I have a place here. All a product of your meddling, the Elmas said. 
The human girl Lauren was meant to marry a human. You were meant to be a warrior, a great hero to your people, a mentor and guide to your brother. I have a brother? He was born? I knew my family was preparing. In this broken timeline? No. But you should. He has a job to do, and so does another person who you do not know, even know exists. Elfangor, without you, your people, both your peoples, will be slaves of the Yurk. I jump back to my feet. You're lying, manipulating me, using me. We don't use anyone. We don't interfere. But if you ask me to fix the mess you have made, to repair the timeline so that you return to your destiny, that and that alone I can do. I wanted to hit him. I wanted to throw up. I hated the galaxy and everything in it. There is a battle, Elfangor, a turning point. Visser 3 is there. You are supposed to be there right now. I can't leave Lauren. Listen to me, Elfangor. Visser 3 will come to Earth one day. He remembers her. He remembers that she mocked him. Do you know what he will do to her? And will you be able to stop him when he is surrounded by a thousand of his own troops? I felt warm liquid run down my cheeks. Tears. A human thing. And if I go back, if I ask you to repair the timeline, will it save Earth? Will it save the Andalites? And my Lauren? No, not by itself, but what is impossible now will become possible again. I looked at the creature who posed as a human, the creature who had the power to make entire solar systems disappear. What game are you playing, Elamist? Will you cross-examine me, Andalite, or will you ask me to undo the mess you have made? Lauren will never know you existed, but you will know. You will still have your memories. I tried to smile, but it twisted cruelly on my lips. You said something about a battle, Elamist. Come, I will carry you there. I will undo what was done and repair the fabric of your fate, Elfangor. This fucking uh, guy. I know. It's, oh god, fuck. This, this next scene, too. It's like, I know he's not, uh, like, I know the yep. Elamist is ultimately a bad guy, but he is a dick. Yeah. I mean, the fucking goal to say uh, we don't manipulate people. Yeah. Like, yeah. the fact that he knows exactly the things to say to Elfangor. Yeah. All to win a fucking game. Yep. Well, to be fair, the game does involve the life and death of many, many species in the universe, so it's not like he's doing it just to be like, oh, I'm just having fun. It's more like, I'm trying to not... Yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm. Mm. I'm not going to get into the meta-ethics of fucking <laughs> extra-dimensional <laughs> beings. Yeah, extra-dimensional chess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this opening sort of lines is is some beautiful writing yeah um once a long time before as i explained to lauren what it must be like to see the universe as the elemist saw it and now as the elemist lifted me up out of the everyday world of three dimensions of space and one of time i saw what he saw when i had used the time matrix i glimpsed the time lines of time interwoven but now i saw a thousand times more it was beyond sight beyond sound it was some new sense some new awareness I could feel the lines of time flowing through me. I could see and taste and hear and touch and smell a billion possibilities all flowing through me. I saw the Elemist himself as he really was, an indescribable being of light and time and space, huge but without a place, alone but not the only one of his kind. I saw and understood the vast power that trailed the lines of time through his grasp, and yet against the enormity of all that ever been and all that ever would be. I saw his limits too. The Elamist was mighty, but not all-powerful. 
I saw a young Andalite who looked like I had once, so serious, so determined to prove himself. I heard his name in my mind. Aximil Esgarath Isafil. Hello, little brother, I said silently. I saw Arbron still alive on the taxon world. I felt his taxon hunger, but I also felt his Andalite pride. Hello, Arbron. You have become the hero I always wanted to be. I saw Lauren and wrapped around her timeline now as another human who would be her mate. I had been written out of her memory. It tore at my heart to realise that I was now a stranger to her. And yet I saw that some part of my own timeline still intersected her own. I still touched her future in some way. My line and hers converged, and then from those two lines came a new line, just emerging, just beginning to grow. What does it mean? I asked the Elemist. You have a son, Elfangor. In a flash I saw the truth. That's why Lauren had gone to see her doctor. She would have come home and told me. We had a child. No, you can't take me away. I have a son, I cried. That changes everything. Don't take me away. You are away. What was broken has been repaired. You are where you must be. The child will be raised as the son of another. But my son, what will happen to him? Will he still exist? I saw the tiny line that was my son flow off through time. I saw pain and hardship and loneliness for him. But then, like a distant nova, I saw a flash of light far at the edge of a still uncertain future. Across the galaxy, my brother's line reached to join with my son's and four other bright, shining timelines formed together with those two. I knew I was watching something incredible and important, and I knew this union of six timelines, one Andalite and five human, was the entire point of the Elemist's non-interference. So you don't interfere with the affairs of other species, I asked him. Was that sarcasm, Elfangor? The Elemist asked. And then he laughed a huge laugh that reverberated through all the tendrils of space and time. Is it all just a game for you? Yes, the Elemis said, all laughter silent now. But we are not the only great powers of the galaxy. There is another, older even than we. And he plays a dark game, Andalite. It is with him that we play. So hope that we win, Elfangor Cyrenial Shantel. Hope that we win. I saw a battle ahead. I saw my own body twisting and changing shape. I opened my stock eyes, tested my Andalite tail, and all at once I was on the bridge of an Andalite fighter. <sighs> so now we can cry about Tobias. Now we know what happened to Tobias' dad. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. This boy. Oh, boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been thrust into the middle of a battle. Yep, a very chaotic one. Yep. Um, but he's there, and mm-hmm. um, it's can, there's so much going on. The star sword is do- the star sword is doomed. The pool ship is the Yerk pool ship is there, um, and he can hear all these voices and thoughts speak in his head. Um, and then the blade ship is here because, of course, it's here. Mm-hmm. But there's nobody left to draw off the fighters, mm-hmm. and. Um, El, uh, Elfangor gets on the comms and just like, hang on, Star Sword, I'll take care of that blade ship. Just like, who is that? And just like, uh, Elfangor, just like, what by all the bloody tales of Krangar are you doing here? It's a long story, Captain. I hope I'll have the chance to tell it to you. And uh, he calls up the fucking 
calls uh, off the blade ship. He fucking calls off the blade ship. And he's just like a hawk bajir face shows up. Who are you to call upon the viscer? If you were pleading for mercy, I can laugh at you as well as he. Pleading for mercy? Not likely. Tell the viscer that an old friend is here to see him. Tell him that Elfangor has come to finish what we began in a vortex a long time ago. In a flash, the screen image changed, and there was the antelite face that had once belonged to War Prince Aloran. You, he cried. I have to congratulate you on escaping from that black hole, and I heard you've been promoted, Yerk. Visser 3. Very impressive. But I have to tell you, Yerk, I am aimed straight for your ship, and exactly ten seconds I will punch up maximum burn. At this distance, it will take me less than two seconds to impact your ship. You're bluffing. Ten. Nine. You'd be killed as well as me. Yes, I would. Seven. Six. All dragon beams on that fighter, Visser 3 shouted to his crew. The blade ship turned to bring his dragon beams forward where they could be aimed at me. You don't have enough time, Visser, I said. And once I punch a maximum burn, it'll be too late. Four. Three. His main eyes blade hatred at me. Two. One. Get out of here, top speed, Visser 3 screamed at his helmsman. The blade ship engines glowed bright and the ship broke away from the star sword. You think you've won, Andalite? Visser 3 sneered. You're still just one fighter and your dome ship is crippled. I'll swing around, move off and finish you in my own good time. I wouldn't swing around just yet, Visser. See, you've cost me too much and I'm going to put an end to you right now. Computer, maximum burn. And the ship just blasts fast enough that uh, Elfangle's blown back. I appreciate that nice little callback to the mm-hmm. earlier thing. Uh, he just slams his fighter into the neck of the blade ship, slicing the bridge away from the rest of it. Um, uh, now, the funny thing mm-hmm. for me was like rereading this sequence. I was like, I wonder if someone who was working on the new Star Wars trilogy was a, fa- a fan of animals, <laughs> especially <laughs> doing, especially yeah. with um, uh, what was it, the mm-hmm. Last Jedi and that whole sequence, which is yeah. probably one of my favorite sequences in mm-hmm. the entirety. I, like, I'm, this might be sacrilege, but that sequence is probably one of my favorites in the entirety of the Star Wars movies. Like, just the scene of her punching it and then like the dead silence mm-hmm. as the impact yeah. hits. If that moment um, wasn't being done by a woman, plenty of Star Wars fans would hold it in high regard. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, I consider it one of my favorite moments in the whole movie. Uh, uh, it's fucking but, dope. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing it in theaters and just being like, oh! <laughs> um, um, but again, like, like it, it's funny, like, reading the parallels between that and, like, like so many years later, like, seeing, like, rereading it and being like, I wonder how common of a trope this is of just like, well, I don't have enough weapons, but I sure as hell can hit you fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's a time on a tradition of like fucking scuttling ships. Like, yeah. if you go back to ship to ship combat on the waves, it's just like you run out of cannon fire. Okay, I've got a boat. And well, even before cannon fire, one of the biggest inventions, I think, oh God, was it the Romans or the Greeks? But they mm. invented a prow which was specifically designed where they would ram mm-hmm. into another ship yeah. and this it would just gut the ship and then they could drop planks jump on that ship kill everyone mm-hmm. and then get back on their ship and take off yeah so like mm-hmm. yeah weaponized Trope as old as weaponized time. vehicles have been around for a long time mm-hmm. yeah i appreciate just like sometimes when you don't have tech you can just use a simple device. And again, it's a nice call to that earlier moment, but also to Lauren throwing that rock. Mm-hmm. Can you dare propel mm-hmm. rocks at me? Can you dare propel a mm. fighter at me? But yeah. And Elfangle's clearly prepared to die in this moment. He mm-hmm. feels fucked over by the Elemist, frankly. Why wouldn't he? So he just slams oh, his God. ship into the blade ship. 
but he doesn't die because another dome ship, the, the tail strike shows up, uh, the yurks bounce, um, and uh, Elfangor wakes up on the Star Sword, a hero. This lost Aris, who had returned mysteriously years after disappearing and had flown his fighter in a bold suicide mission. Um, he's made into a full warrior. The captain of the Star Sword's like, you're going to be prince in a, a, a prince in a couple of years. And Elfangor has enough time while recovering from his injuries to figure out the story that he is going to tell. Um, and he ends up telling the captain everything except for the location of the time matrix. And the captain's like, whoa. He doesn't say whoa. I'm paraphrasing. But he's just like, <laughs> this story's never going to be public. You'll be a hero, but this, we're not going to tell the details of your story. And he's like, I committed mutiny. I did all these mistakes, and then I ran away. And this captain's like, young warrior, do you think I don't know what happened to Aloran? Do you think I don't know about the quantum virus he unleashed in the battle for the Hawk-Bajir world? Aloran was my friend. When we were young Aeroths together, he was a gentle, decent youngster and funny. He loved to joke and play tricks. And Elfanger's like, what, Aloran? Like, yes, Aloran. But war does terrible things to people. Some it raises to greatness. Others it destroys. You did not mutiny against Aloran. You defended the beliefs he used to hold dear. You stood up for the people. It was strange. I felt like crying, but I no longer had human eyes. So I cried the way an Andalite does. In my hearts. Just, ugh. It's okay, I'm just, just having to bias feelings. It's fine. <laughs> I don't think we ever see this captain again either, and it's just, it's kind of surreal knowing, like, there is one other being out there who does know, like, the whole story, and yet they, like, he respects Elfangor's wishes. He never looks for the Time Matrix. He never rats mm -hmm. on Elfangor. It's just this one decent captain who we never see again, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, because this is the same captain that asked him and Arbor on their opinions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just, I love this. This I picture this very cool, older Andalite dude just being like, yeah, he's chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's just like, he's part of the military machine because he just says to Elfangor, look, no one can be brave all the time. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a second chance and we need warriors like you. People, warriors who won't forget why they're fighting. And asks Elfangor if he will fight and will he be their hero. And Elfangor's like, I guess his words should have made me feel good. I had once wanted to be a hero, but now I saw what it meant. I could imagine the price I would have to pay, the things I might have to do. I could feel the weight of it settling down on me like a thousand pound stone. Yes, Captain, I said. I will fight. And who, boy, is anyone else thinking about the end of the fucking first Jake book right now? Uh -huh. <sighs> yep. This boy. Yep. And then the book closes on Elfangor summing things up. In many year it was many years before he sees Earth again. He fights more battles than he can count. He wins. He loses. The war drags on. Um, Just like... Neither side managed to destroy the other. He wonders if that's the way it had to be or if it's the Elamists and their unnamed opponents interfering to keep the war going on forever and that no one knows. But a Z-space rift opens up between planet Earth and Vizisellas of the Galaxy. 
It happens sometimes. Um, but finally he goes back to Earth uh, in the dome ship galaxy tree and they find themselves outnumbered because this is the beginning of the Animorphs. The dome separates because the galaxy tree is the galaxy tree is doomed because they're outnumbered. The dome is separated. Uh, the wither Axonilai uh, is sent down into the sea, uh, but he takes a damaged fighter down to the planet to where he had hidden the time matrix. But by the time he gets there, he's too weak from his injuries to even think about finding it. It's beneath the concrete foundations of a half-finished building. What had once been a forest was now a construction site. He's there dying. And then five human children, no older than Lauren had been when I first met her, came by. Three boys and two girls, scared at the sight of me, but not so scared that they ran away. One of them seemed especially drawn to me, and when I saw his face, I knew why. He could only be Lauren's son. My son. He breaks Adelite law, gives them the power to morph. The Yerks come and he tells the kids to hide, but Tobias stays with him for a few moments alone. And Elfangor asks Tobias to tell him about his family. And it sucks, because we find out that she disappeared when Tobias was small. Um, he doesn't know what happened and guesses that she died. People say she left because she was messed up. They said she never got over my father. I don't know. But I know she has to be dead because she'd never have just left me, no matter what. But maybe that's just what I told myself. I don't exactly have a family. It was a fresh stab of pain in my heart. And yet I knew now that not all was lost. Go to your friends, Tobias. They are your family now. That's when I knew there was still hope for my adopted people, the humans of Earth. My son had survived. He was strong in ways even he did not suspect. He would change the course of history. And now I lie here now, seconds from death, clutched in the power of Visithri's monstrous morph, I can see clearly what I only guessed at before. I remember seeing the timeline that curled away from Lauren and me, and I remember the burst of light as it was joined with four other human lines and the line of my own little brother. Tobias was that line, and joined with his others, he held powers that would make Visa Three tremble. I, Elfangor, Serenial, Shamtal, have transmitted all my last thoughts and memories to be sent through space and time to my people. Now end my life. My Hirak Delest is done. I go in peace to my death and I leave as my last legacy a single word for all the free people of the galaxy. Hope. And that is the Andalite Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to chew. Mm -hmm. I do like the, the, the retroactive retroactive justification of like why he goes to that specific spot mm -hmm. you know like he's looking for the time matrix like he's kind of desperate enough like to try and save his people and the humans um to go and look for it again well think about what all must have happened to make him change so much on that decision mm. um like he describes yeah, himself he... as desperate yeah like it's been some years, yeah, but we know, like, however many years it is, that, like, 13 years mm -hmm. is what it's been. 
And he swore that he would never, he didn't want anyone to be able to use the time matrix. And in that moment, he's desperate enough to try to. Yeah. And I like, but then be seeing Tobias and realizing what the future means, just like, oh, they don't need the time machine, the, the time matrix. This is going to be it. Mm -hmm. And it, it means a lot that for all the, a very tragic start, just like that he dies with hope mm -hmm. is a lovely thing for a, it's just, I guess, I can see why Jen talked about just having the word hope as a mm -hmm. tattoo, like in the, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, in the uh, thought speak punctuation. Yeah. Let me tell you, and I can't remember how much of this Danielle kept at the top of the first chapter, or whether we said we would cut it out somewhere there. Let me tell you, folks, I sussed about Lauren being Tobias's mum pretty fast. Was not expecting Alfango to be Tobias's dad. <laughs> there was much yelling I realised as it was going I was just like are they actually going to do it? and I got to the point I think I actually had to like put my laptop down and go what the fuck <laughs> what what I mean it's good and I love this and it makes me love Tobias more and also it's a really cool way of having somebody be like part Andalite without being part Andalite I love this this is dope also I'm mad about everything <laughs> More swearing. <laughs> like, ballsy move, Kaye. Ballsy move. <laughs> but I do like, like, the implications that has for, like, how close Tobias is with Axe and things like mm -hmm. that. Axe is his uncle. Yeah. His uncle. It's very cute. Good. And just, look, I like time travel. I like alternate timelines these are tropes that i enjoy in fiction and there's this yeah, it's good it's good but also there was yelling on my part <laughs> not I'm quite not a as huge much. fan of time shenanigans but i do like how applegate handles them especially in books like this yes yeah. because like, i said yeah. well executed time shenanigans i enjoy yeah 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 seriously though we're supposed to believe that lauren and chapman are 13 <laughs> no. My major problem with the Andalite Chronicles. Nah. -uh. Yeah. No. 15 at and, the least. And like the whole thing would make would be less weird if they started as 18 and then she aged up the five years from 18 to 23. Yeah. Uh and then having a child at 26. Hmm. Um but yeah, it, it's a, it's a. I get that they want to draw a parallel between the kids themselves mm -hmm. from the main canon. That's the only reason I can see why they would make, yeah, Lauren that young, and yeah. like that act of what she goes through makes her an adult, literally as well as emotionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like, say you could easily just have it like she was eighteen, that she's like, but I suppose. The difference between eighteen and twenty-three, you might not notice physically about yourself. Yeah, I guess. not really. No, like I can understand that, and because obviously you're done growing at that point, usually as a as a AFAB person. Mm -hmm. So, but you could easily just say, like, as the kid showed up, younger than Lauren was when I met her. Yeah, like. It sits, even though it is made very clear that Elfangor is also young, mm -hmm. like 
they are of an age with each other. It's not an age difference thing or those issues. It just feels odd and yeah. not wrong in the moral sense, but wrong that she just turns around and goes, okay, I'm five years older and now I'm eight, I feel 18. Just sort of like, yeah. I read that and I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> well, not just that, but like they have the time matrix. It's like, mm. did, did you not think to unage yourself? Mm-hmm. That's but, what bugged me the most. Yeah. Like, why why didn't you just unage yourself? You've got the capacity to reset time. You could I, go back. Yeah, I, I appreciate that maybe like, hey, I had this plot idea and then they were working backwards to justify it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, I know how we're going to make fans yell. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hey, like the two of them talking, just being like, okay, how about this? It's like, yo, <laughs> Galaxy yeah. Brain. I feel like maybe if they went back, maybe they would make it a little differently. But yeah, it just, it sits very oddly in my brain and I choose to read that differently. Yeah, yeah. And also like the the timeline of the three years later that they have doesn't Work. fit right into the rest of the timeline. Um, there's like, there's about five years missing in the timeline in order for it to match up pr- properly mm-hmm. because like Tobias is 13 when the books start in 96. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. that means he had to have been born in 83. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it just, but the, the events of this book happened five years after the Hork Bajir Chronicles, um, which was, 79 mm-hmm. so i don't know i did the math in the ch- in the discord mm-hmm. a while ago but i've forgotten it's been three months since either then. way they they lost some time they lost some time and it doesn't make any sense um and uh, i can i can it's think not even like a couple couple reasons that might help it make a little more sense like Maybe, like, they lose time because maybe it takes some kind of energy for the time matrix to work. Maybe there is a trade-off there. Like, it has to consume energy somehow. Um, maybe the Elemist was fiddling with time shenanigans. Who knows? You know, again, yeah. there's that there. And also, Lauren is human. No matter how hard she tried to picture things, she could have flubbed up something. Yeah. uh but also, like, it isn't internally consistent. Like, it says three years later, and also Elfangor uh, went to undergrad, majored in physics, and then went to grad school. True. Uh, that's at detention. least eight years. At yeah. least. <laughs> Especially because, you know, he he points out that he's trying to pretend not to know the answers. Yeah. So, like, he's trying to do it the regular way without being... Uh, like uh, a super genius that goes through college in two years. Like, yeah, I guess it becomes those sorts of things become. It's one of the problem when you have a really strong narrative. Otherwise, then you when you cut, fuck up like that, people are going to notice and then start picking holes. Yeah, just sort of like it. It becomes a frustrating element in something that is otherwise very satisfying narratively. Yes. So yes. It, it, a kid, it's a bugbear. As a kid, you wouldn't notice. Yeah, as a kid, yeah, I definitely like, didn't I notice. Never did so. Um, yeah. 
Uh, so good, good enough for the target audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apologies for Gold being star. adults pulling this apart, going, "Yeah, come on now." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm just thinking of that one joke from The Simpsons where it's like all the guys in the nerdy shop. Uh, in that one episode of Itchy, yeah, and yeah, Spooky. yeah. Uh, it's like, what? Yeah, because the, the, there's two. They do that gag. There's just like, why would a grown adult spend so much time obsessing about a children's television show? She's like, I would throw my question. <laughs> um, but there's also the one. It's a Halloween Treehouse of Horrors talking to Lucy Lawless. It's just sort of like, well, anytime something like that happens, a wizard did it. An animal. <laughs> anything something like that happens, the Elemist did it. Yep. 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 Yeah. It's he, he. He is the plot device. Yeah. yeah. He's a literal Deus Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a very literal sense, he is yep. a godlike entity that comes and fucks with things. Yeah, uh, and I I think that when the Elemis talks about the broken timelines and fixing things, I think it is I think he is fixing a lot more than just picking Elfangor up out of his life. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and moving him. Um, I think I think there is a lot of well I'm going to put Chapman back on earth instead of floating into a black hole in the Jahar where everybody else left him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just let me mention him one more time and then just like who cares about Chapman anymore? Yeah. Just yeah. I mean also clearly the Elemist is responsible for I know he said about Vista 3 but I'm like mm, mm was it really you? Mm. Mm. That yeah, might have a... been Pryak because of their mm-hmm. rules that yeah. they have, maybe. Yeah, you get to pick fuck around with your piece, I get to fuck around with mine. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that's probably right. Because we well, I don't think we know in canon at this point that it, it is uh Animorphs versus Yurk's uh chess game that these two are playing, but Mm-hmm. Um, they are not the only players in the game, but they are the main players in the game. And so I think mm-hmm. it makes sense that uh, Krayak would have been like, excuse me, you did what? Well, I'm going to pluck this motherfucker out of here. Yeah. <laughs> if you get to have your favorite piece, I get to have mine. Yep. Mom Mom said it's my turn to do, ter- my to turn cheat. for interdimensional chess piece smoothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, hmm. But yeah, it's, It's some it's good so shit. It's good shit. It's it's really a, this is a great book. It is. It um, is. Is honestly like looking back from when I was a kid, I think this book was one of the books that did help me move from like regular chapter books up towards more adult chapter books. Mm-hmm. Because after reading this one, I had memories of like, oh, I handled that book. I can handle bigger books now. And that was when I started like checking out bigger, thicker books in the library, mm-hmm. you know, and my memories of like the more serious books coming, like a, like a book about the Revolutionary War, a really depressing book about a saddle bronc, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just this book is a really, it's a really good transitionary book for younger kids and teens up to more heavy reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and it's, it is well loved by fandom. I know the, um, the Minds at Yerk pipe podcast, uh, who run a similar shindig to this because there are many other Animorphs podcasts. Um, <laughs> as we uh, freely state in our intro, <laughs> um, they recently did a, like a Twitter poll of a Twitter bracket, really, of all of the Animorphs books for people to pick their favorites. And the last two, uh, the the last the last two finalists were the Andalite Chronicles and the last book in the series. Um, oh, damn. <laughs> damn, that's a hard choice. It is a hard choice. I think I chose the Andalite Chronicles just because it has so much more lore in it and affects so many other things. Whereas the last book is mostly satisfying because it helps to tie up things and it's like narratively it, yeah. satisfying for different reasons. This is a beginning, whereas. Oh, now I'm sad. Number 54 is called <laughs> The Beginning. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just played yourself. <laughs> I did just play myself. God. Oh. Yeah. I just noticed something in the dock, actually, as I was like rolling around to, to our usual discussion points, noticing mm-hmm. a section that was highlighted. Given our discussion before about as the time matrix does its splitty thing and Alfangle mm-hmm. uh, hears a laugh. The mm-hmm. fact that the Elamist laughs as well, just painting that picture of Kryak and the Elamist mm-hmm. as very much of an of a sameness. Yeah. Yeah. Of That's of being so, so you and I. Yeah. Be, being so unimaginably different from everything else in the universe except for this other thing that you are mm-hmm. at war with. I also, for the fate like, of the universe. Yeah, there's also something a little, con- I say a little, quite a lot condescending <laughs> about uh, the Elemis being just like, was that sarcasm of Elfanger? And laughing, just yeah. like, oh, look at the simple creature doing a clever trick. Yeah. Aren't you clever? Aren't you funny? I, yeah. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that though. Like, I think, again, like you mentioned, like maybe he was delighted. Mm, again, maybe, maybe he's yeah. just delighted in the fact that here is this Andalite who, had a metaphorical like the species has a metaphorical stick up their butt and yeah that's true yet here he is he's lived with humans and other aliens he's experienced enough in life that he can be sarcastic now he can have those acidic mm-hmm. moments of wit you know yeah, so you make a good point yeah again the elemist is not uh, sorry like i know <laughs> i I'm, I'm an elemist apologist he's one of my favorite characters um, <laughs> you you um, can like people that are bastards. Yes, he. Uh, you know, I guess he would be kind of a good fit for the magnificent bastard trope. He just falls on the good magnificent bastard, and not like the mm. anti-villain evil magnificent bastard. He's oh, no yeah, Xanatos, like have, but yeah, yeah, like the Seventh Doctor is an example of a very is of a arguably morally good aligned character that is still playing the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. I don't think he's necessarily being malicious. I think he is so far removed at this point mm-hmm. that yeah. it 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 he is dismissive of Elfangor and Elfangor's wishes in the same way that Elfangor calls the humans a primitive species. Um yeah. he's lost his connection to the mortal creatures, the mortal Oh, in realm. so many fucking ways. Man, the yeah. Elemis Chronicles are a fucking trip. 
Oh, I cannot <laughs> wait for you guys to read them. They're probably one of like I love the Endlight Chronicles, but I think the Elmist is probably my second favorite book in the series, just because of how much it's Apple so Gate wild to go ham yeah. on the weirdness of the aliens. <laughs> like there's no human to tie this book down. She can just go buck wild, and I love it. Yeah, I suppose. Um, but it, a... it, go on. Kate. It, it explain it explains a lot of what happens in this book too. Like it explains a lot of like why he responds the way he does. And mm-hmm. why things work out the way they do. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm really eager to hear your opinion and how it changes when you read those books about like the events of this book and earlier events in the whole series as a whole. You know, I was just thinking about, and I've seen quite a few people talk about this in various ways. But as we get older, we forget what it's like to be children. Mm-hmm. And yep what interacting with the world is like as a child because you have so much more experience mm-hmm. than that and the way the elemis talks to elfangorn is like the way adults talk to children sometimes mm-hmm. because you can go oh i have so much more experience i i know so much more than you do and it's not out of maliciousness like you say kit but it is you are so far from being that point in your life that you can't help but struggle to see it from that mm-hmm. perspective anymore it's like you're not intending to be condescending it's just mm-hmm. you've done so much in life life has happened to you so much that mm-hmm. you forget what it's like to be in that moment like i've got a little two-year-old niece and mm. watching her experience life is reminding me like i have to remind myself like yeah like like of course she's gonna cry when this thing happens to her because to her, this is the first time, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to her, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's got no context to make this thing not hurt or not be scary. So mm-hmm. it's like, you do have to take that step back and remind yourself, like, this little person is, like, everything is new to them. Their whole little brain is figuring things out. Like, I'm, I get mm-hmm. to teach her new words every day. Like, when she comes into my room, I teach her the names of my plants. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. But I also have to step back and go, but she is still a kid. I still have to remember that she does not see the world the way I do yet, or maybe never will because of her experiences growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good analogy, though. You pointed out, though, of like adult versus child. Mm-hmm. It comes back to the whole humans are a young species versus the older species, mm-hmm. like air quotes, older species in the series. Because yeah. even the Andalites do the same condescending thing. Basically, the Elamist is treating Elfangor like Elfangor and his people were treating humans. Yeah. Turn about fair play. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Story's Looks good, good, actually. Story's <laughs> good. Also, though, <laughs> me as a creature and character designer screeching at uh, Applegate, like, hey, how the fuck these three aliens? More <laughs> bad, and how... How do they breathe each other's uh, atmosphere? Because, like, I'm, like, 90% sure in the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, like, right at the beginning, they mentioned that, like, they they cannot go out into the yurt environment without some kind of breathing apparatus, I think. I'm not uh, sure. Quantum reality where all different aliens can breathe the same air because you feel in reality you should be able to breathe. Yeah. What's that whole thing in the Matrix about? Uh, mm-hmm. You think that's air you're breathing now? Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. <laughs> the hell, it is what you expect it to be. But yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. we should, uh, if we're doing any wrapping questions, and then do the thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because once again, we have managed to talk for about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> about All right. Uh, what was your favorite part? Oof. From a visual and storytelling perspective, I think it's Alfangor seeing the timelines. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and reality splintering when the time matrix fires up. Yeah. That, that sort of shits my jam. I think for me, it's like when he's lifted up because I love that. I love that calling back to his original explanation and then like him getting to experience that, oh, I was, I was kind of right with this, you know, like we are getting lifted up into this whole different thing that my brain still cannot comprehend, but is attempting to like that oh, yeah. one right there is probably my favorite scene, the the lifting up scene. I didn't mm-hmm. even think the about the, the call back to his conversation with Lauren. Dang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Danielle? Um, I think it is this argument that he has with the Elemist, mm. um, because one, it shows how, how hard he's trying to hold on to this life, how, how much he doesn't want to have to go back to all of that trauma, mm-hmm. um, and that combined with him realizing that he has a son and Mm. screaming to go back um gives me very very strong doctor who doomsday vibes it's uh, i was also gonna say also the end when he um doomsday also i don't want to go also um the end of the family of blood arc where mm-hmm, he doesn't want to mm-hmm. go back to being a time. Yes. Lord. They did that a lot with David Tennant as Tennant. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, let me be good. David Tennant is very good at crying. It's just like. <laughs> Work it Sorry. out. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. I, I, I love David Tennant very much. He's so good. <laughs> um, but yes. But yeah, that, that, whole, that whole thing. Um, and, uh, and the bit at the end with. Um, with him seeing the 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 timelines converge um and and knowing that this is the this is the reason this is the reason why the elemist is doing all of this is for those six people yeah those so important little timelines that will set everything in motion that needs to be in motion. That, that will make possible the impossible again. Mm. Um, did anything surprise you? We kind of oh! touched on this one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Aside from that, nah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I wasn't well, I sort of was and wasn't the way that it sort of turned around with Elfangle going back in mm. like that. I guess I wasn't expecting that journey for Elfangle, like to mm-hmm. to go to become a human, and mm-hmm. like that parallel to Tobias becoming an Elitha and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Just a lot. I get. I guess I just didn't expect that to be the direction the narrative went. 
Mm-hmm. And it was very narratively satisfying. Mm-hmm. So, um, how much do you think Elfangor not wanting to go back to the war is related to him seeing what the war did to Aloran? Oh, he's got to be. Like, he saw Aloran's brain. Yep. Metaphysically. He knows exactly what war does to a person because he can't, he has seen it. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's also his own trauma. Like, he was trying to put the war behind him. He didn't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. And yes, he doesn't want to lose the thing he has, but he also doesn't want to become a thing that scares him. Mm-hmm. I just thought of a really weird parallel because, like, I'm, I'm actually re watching like, the Final Fantasy VII remake right now. <laughs> and um, there's a whole scene where Tifa is talking to Cloud, who she has known since childhood. And Cloud has basically just, like, they just took out some soldiers. And he's like, oh, yeah, should we kill them? Because, you know, they are a threat. And she says, Cloud, you're scaring me. To which he responds, like, I've changed. Like, I'm a soldier. I fought, you know. And... Like, the parallels there of, like, this is someone you knew, but, like, what does that happen when, like, you're the person inside? Like, when you have that moment of, like, I, I'm scaring myself. I am not who I was because of fighting, mm-hmm. you know? And, again, like, he says he ran away. He hid. He's trying to protect himself. He's trying to save that little part of himself that's still him from the war. And it's, it's an impossible situation. Like, you can't hide from that anymore um he literally gets the the call of destiny literally drops into his house and says yep time to go back and do your job yeah again just thinking about that again the doctor who family of blood arc Mm -hmm. just i don't want to that man it seems horrible i don't want to be that Mm -hmm. why can't i be this Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of stock in the people we choose to be yeah. And the choices we have to make. Yeah. Oh, I'm having Jake feelings. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, yep. And choosing, <laughs> choosing to be the one who makes the awful decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, was there I'm any part about buried Jake again? <laughs> the weight of responsibility. Yep. You're welcome. Uh, I hate. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was there any part that didn't make sense to you besides the timeline and age shit? No, I'm good on this one. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm fine. Mainly because like the whole timeline thing didn't bug me as much, especially as a kid. It was just like one of those situations where I just kind of accepted that there was weirdness. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, we're dealing with interdimensional travel and all kinds of other shenanigans. So like, yeah, yeah there's going to be weird mess ups here that and also i was like 10 or 10 or 11 when i first read this book so like my brain was not really interested in like wait that doesn't make sense it's like of course they get married at like 21 or whatever it was yeah, that's so old because <laughs> well not just that but like again like i've mentioned in the previous podcast like for for most of my family mm-hmm. um it wasn't unusual for them to get married and have kids by 21. In fact, I think I had an aunt who had her first kid at like 17 or 18, you know? So like, mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't that weird of a prospect of like, Oh, of course they get married that young and have kids and whatever. 
but for me, like the biggest, the biggest thing that was hardest for me, the thing that was the hardest for me to wrap my head around as a kid was that like Tobias had a different dad, but his dad was still Elfangor and then Mm -hmm. his mom just disappears. And it was just like, oh no, why? Where'd she go? Mm -hmm. We learn. We learn, but I I don't. I hate this. I I hate when you do this, Danielle. (laughs) We talked about this. God damn it! (laughs) You're so fucking ominous about everything. You just sound slightly ominous and sad as you just. This is a plot point that will come to hurt you later. Yeah, (laughs) that is this. That is the fucking subtitle of this podcast. I swear to Christ. Mostly I just enjoy getting to do it because there's so few people who haven't don't been know. who don't mm-hmm. know, who haven't been spoiled for it. Who well, specifically who are willing to talk about animorphs that haven't mm-hmm. been spoiled yeah. about it. <laughs> They're laughing like, now. I'm gonna meet Danielle the person. I'm gonna take bring a copy of book fifty four and just smack them with it. Like you did this <laughs> to me. <laughs> Just a good song. Uh, Whack! We talked about Joel's question, why age up Lauren? Uh, the answer is time shenanigans. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we've, we've talked about what your question also of what the fuck does this timeline look like? Yeah, it, it looks like a hot mess is what it looks like, mm-hmm. uh, but that's okay. It looks like a sweater that's been lovingly hand-knitted that's maybe got some stitches dropped is, <laughs> is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's good. All right. Mm. Kit, thank you so much for what turned out to be three recording yeah, sessions. For this this fucking saga. <laughs> okay, life, life has been happening so much the past few months. Mm. So I'm also like I'm very grateful because part of the delay was my fault. Because guess who was a complete booby and forgot that uh, Easter was like last week or whatever, and it was just like, oh, <laughs> I can't record that day. I have family obligations. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no worries. Uh, where can people find you, Kit? You can find me at Kitsy in a Box on Twitter.com, all one word. Um, I'm also on DeviantArt and Tumblr and pretty much those like artsy websites like that. Um, you can find them on my Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And commission I Kit little... to get a Kit Sunday. They're good. Yes, you do it. <laughs> The only reason I haven't yet is because I can't decide what I want the components to be. <laughs> yes, that is find literally a, find a dessert. Throw it at me. <laughs> uh, my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on Twitter at Jade Oxford Rose. Uh, you can listen to them on their home podcast, Follow the Leader, uh, where they play a whole bunch of GMless actual play or jamless tabletop role-playing games uh if you like the idea of a uh fan fiction au you'll definitely like follow the leader um you can catch follow the leader at ftlcast on twitter or at uh ftlcast.com yes um uh, you can also listen to them on Dumb Kids Playing Hero, which is an Animorphs-inspired actual play podcast where we play one of uh, the games that I have written. Um, you can find that on Twitter at DKPHPod. And you can find my amazing co-host at Redtailed Hawk 90 on Twitter. 
you can buy the, that game we play on Dumb Kids Playing Hero at redhaletalk90.itch.io. And their home base podcast, uh, actual play shenanigans, sci-fi goodness, you know, <laughs> Firefly, but not Joss Whedon-y, and with, like, actual <laughs> characters of color and found family. It's good. It's good shit. Uh, it's better. And then that, and the robots are great. You like robots? Of course you do. You're listening to this podcast. You have taste. Go listen <laughs> to the room where it happened. You'll enjoy it. Excellent. Good. Uh, <laughs> let's Please do... enjoy my rambly recommendations of my and poorly descri- <laughs> poorly dis- poor description of my friend's podcast. It's great. No, it's perfect. Uh, let's do a clap. Let's do okay. a clap. Uh, 40? 40. You mean 50? 50? What? 50. Oh, you mean... The second is 50 40. seconds. Okay. 50 now seconds. we'll do it at 50 seconds. 49.50. <laughs> no, you're good. I was like, wait, it's 49. <laughs> okay. Yeah.